0: To be larger than life, holding out for a hero. Power Ballad Friday, one of the faster power ballads we've uh, played uh, so far. Anyway, that's Bonnie Tyler, Welsh singer, came to prominence after ventured into rock music with uh, Jim Steinman. Uh, and uh, she wrote, It's a heartache and total eclipse of the heart, uh, among the best selling singles of all time. Uh, but there's this one here. we. Uh, before uh in 1984 she released holding out for a hero from the footloose soundtrack uh one review william Hugh, one reviewer william hughes said the song displays some of the worst of the decade's excesses uh the lyrics are laughable the heavy-handed synths and piano riffs come dangerously close to cheese of which we disagree don't we steve that was a song oh. to remember
1: Oh, it's magnificent! Bonnie Tyler's about the only person who could ever do justice to a Jim Steinman song the way Loaf yeah. could, that, and that's fantastic. Yeah,
0: stuff. You are so right. What 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 was it about? What, what was it about Bonnie Tyler? Was it the voice?
1: There, there was that, that just a little bit of gravel in her voice. It was there was a little bit of an edge to it that just gave it some character, and she just she just knew when to like just to not bother, just to let go, just to have some fun with the song.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, you're on the panel, RNZ uh, National. Uh, Ken asks, only 10 years for pyjamas, Wallace. Yeah, Uh, pyjamas, really? You have bed covers. Go naked to bed. There's a saving on clothes. Thank you for that. Uh, And regarding mending, John says, I'm a bloke and I absolutely mend my clothes. Where can you buy linen shirts these days? The most luxurious, smartest feeling of cloth. I don't know if you can buy linen shirts these days. Can you? Can you, Steve? Can you still buy a linen shirt?
1: I, I bought one uh,
0: at Farmer's two months ago, yes. No, okay. Uh, also on mending, I mend clothes, my husband's oldest favourite shorts, shopping bags, anything not worn out. It is in my family's jeans to mend to the extent that one brother put his burst balloon on mum's treadle, sing a sewing machine to be mended. A cuppa and some mending in the afternoon actually is very zen, says Avis of Still water. Um, If you have a question for sleep, get it in in the next 60 seconds because that's what we're talking about because it is none other than World Sleep Day today. And it's fair to say that in the era of the pandemic, our sleep patterns have been disrupted. Whether that be due to changing patterns like work from home, full days looking after children while working, or just worrying, worrying about what's happening in life in the world, Professor Alistair Neal is Clinical and Research Director, Sleep Investigation Centre, Well Sleep, at the Department of Medicine at Otago University in Wellington. Professor Neil kia ora. Nice to have you on.
2: Uh, kia ora, Wallace, and thanks for inviting me. Lovely to Thank be here.
0: It's a pleasure. Uh, I have a question from myself first. I have had <laughs> many months of broken sleep. It doesn't tend to worry me. It doesn't tend to make me too tired, but I have these, <laughs> it's just broken sleep. Wake up at 2,
2: wake up at 4, no matter. What's that about? Is it a concern? Um, well, I think, most mostly, as you get older, sleep lightens, and so by about 30, most people wake two to three times by themselves. Um, so it's a very normal part of, uh, as, you know, as you get a little bit older, you'll start to get a lighter sleep pattern. But it doesn't mean that the sleep in between isn't still very helpful for you. Um, you know, that's, that's probably the best answer for that. Don't worry about it. Um, and as long as you're getting enough overall, uh, uh, then you'll be just fine.
0: The 2022 theme is quality sleep, sound mind, happy world. Yeah. How does quality sleep help maintain and interact with mental health?
2: Well, um, one of the themes that we're promoting um, under the value of healthy sleep is is recognising that some people are sleeping a lot less than they should do. And so if, for example, you're sleeping less than five hours a night on average, there's quite clear research showing that you make bad decisions, you can have poor judgement, and sometimes you can make big mistakes. Um, And it may, may or may not surprise you to know that Vladimir Putin has known to only sleep four hours a night. Doesn't so he? we're actually calling on him to try and sleep a lot longer.
0: Very interesting. Uh, Angela, let's bring you in.
3: Okay, this is a topic that is dear to my heart. I'm so, my, <laughs> On my bio, I always say my favourite activity is sleep, and that's really because I'm so bad at it, and I <laughs> have been a bad sleeper since I was a teenager. I'm, literally today I'm on about three hours very broken sleep um hang on, hang on three hours sleep a night yeah I, yeah no just last night yep i think i slept from about 11 to 12 and then i didn't sleep until well after four um and Good got up for around seven yeah that, that was what I managed today um, I, I, it's not consistent so some nights I do get a good night's sleep um, so I'm hoping tonight when I've had a poor night I tend to have a good one after but yeah it is, it's so hard um, and there's so much going on now, I think you know generally well, you know, the addiction on mobile phones, I think, is a real big thing around okay. sleep patterns because they're really addictive devices. So being able to put down all your electronics and put them aside um, is, is, a, is a modern issue. And then, yes, of course, all the stresses, the COVID stress, the, mm. the high food prices, all those things, you know. Um, and this is exactly you know. why we got you on, Professor Neil, because what Anjum is
0: saying there has been... Uh, Resonates with so many. I've been talking to. I've got to say though, Andrew, that sounds extreme. Three hours tomorrow morning, Gabriel. Uh, there's a little bit of a promo there. Uh, Alistair, can you respond to yeah. Andrew?
2: Sure. So, I mean, one of the interesting things that uh, we have found in our research on insomnia is that people are actually often sleep more than they think they do. Uh, by and it can be up to a, an hour or two each night. And the reason we think this is happening is that parts of your brain, even though you might be worried and anxious about something, are actually still getting useful sleep. So, so the brain doesn't necessarily totally switch off or on. There are parts that are locally sleeping when you are prone to insomnia. And uh, and so I'd reassure you with that with that regard. But there's also yeah, absolutely. I'd acknowledge there's huge stress around at the moment. Healthcare workers are experiencing mm-hmm. COVID. There is a number of areas in which we get stressed, but it doesn't really help our sleep pattern. Steve,
0: are you there, Steve? Not- on the no, <laughs> thing. Wouldn't surprise me. No, I've got a question here uh, sure. from from, uh, from someone. What is the story with menopause and terrible
2: sleep? It's bloody awful. Why does it happen? Says a listener. Um Okay, so uh, there's quite a few changes that happen after the menopause, so the with the hormonal changes occur and sleep is affected, I think also by hot hot flushes and um, there's a bit more sleep apnea as well, so the upper airway can become a bit more relaxed and a tendency to snoring and some of the sleep disorders that can accompany that uh, it's, yeah, it's a tough one. Sorry.
0: yeah uh, all right, let's see if Steve uh, is there, Steve, are you there now? No, we've lost them. Another one here then, is there any research into how COVID affects sleep apnea? Do people with apnea have worse outcomes?
2: Uh, they, they seem to get more, yes, they, they do carry risk factors that mean that they're more vulnerable to COVID um, and so I think that was shown early on in the pandemic that people with sleep apnea are more likely to get a more serious infection. Uh, but their treatment, which is if they're on a good treatment like a CPAP therapy, that probably helps mitigate against that. So, you know, if you have sleep apnea and get COVID, then you should look after yourself in the usual way and you should be just fine. I mean, you. you I think the other thing we've found is that sleep apnea sufferers should respond pretty well to vaccination, just as we all will.
0: All right. And just finally, while you're here, um, I, I want to ask you this, uh, Professor Neil. Uh, daylight savings, keep mm-hmm. it or ditch it?
2: I think you have to ask the community what they want because it, it'll depend on where you are and what those communities are doing. I think um, I'm in favour of it if it works well for communities, but it does throw around your circadian rhythms. Oh, it does. Yeah, Andrew, I what do you think?
3: Yep. Well, just a, just yeah, well, literally, I can deal with jet lag, but that one hour, I never catch it up, and it's not till we go back that I feel like right. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> back to normal now. Like I think it doesn't get all the benefits that 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 it's touted, and I'd be happy to get rid of it.
2: Yeah, no, I know there's a bit of a move afoot to do that. Um, I, I was also interested, Anjan, uh, in your comments on the, on the homelessness situation because I think that's a real sleep issue there as well because mm. we have a lot of people that are sleeping in houses that don't have adequate bedrooms and with multiple people living in those houses. And uh, it's become quite a big issue with the cost of living as well to make sure we've got safe sleep environment. So it was good for you to raise that.
0: Lovely yeah. to have you on, uh, Professor Neil Kiora, and uh, thank um. you for that explaining sleep on uh, World Sleep Day. Uh, really interesting, uh, Andrew, uh, three hours. Uh, can I just ask you on, on a personal level, does it worry you at all or actually have you become used to it? You know, that, that's, that's the sort of thing uh, I mean, you can get by and that's it.
3: Well, the thing is, it did used to worry me a lot. Um, and, and especially I had what you just said about um, waking up a lot at night. Um, and then someone said to me, well, maybe that's just your body's rhythm and, and your body is giving you what you need. And I, and I thought, well, that's a nice way to think about it. Maybe I just have mm-hmm. to relax and this is what my body does and do the best I can and look after myself. And on days of low sleep, give yourself the breaks and the, 10 minute lie downs or whatever you yes. can, you know. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I do learn to adapt around it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You're on the panel, is uh,
0: it National, Andrew Rahman, and Steve McCabe? Oh, We've just lost Steve, actually. He will be back hopefully very, very soon. Um, but a lot of you are saying to me, look, uh, Wallace, uh, dish the pajamas in bed uh, and um, just. Uh, You know, wear nothing. Uh, Kia ora, Wallace. I agree with those who spend nothing on pyjamas. Nude snoozing is the way to go. Also, my mum's family name is Sleep. Never had any real problems getting rest. I like wearing pyjamas to bed, and that is uh, where I will stay. It is uh, 13 to 5, the panel RNZ National. We've all been digesting the issue of making public transport half price since the government announced it. The government said it'll cost between 25 to $40 million to cut public transport ticket prices in half for three months. And it's led to the notion of what it would cost to have a fully funded public transport system in the super city. Some costings have put it at an additional $200 million per year, albeit those are COVID-era numbers. And some cat on Twitter said, uh, if public transport is free, then why isn't it free for me to fill the 80-litre tank of my Ford Ranger, New Zealand's most popular new car? With us is Matt Lowry for the Greater Auckland Transport Blog. Matt, kia ora. Kia ora, It's a fair point, isn't it? If you're going to give pu- uh, free public transport, fill this guy's Ford Ranger.
1: Well, I mean, public, the whole point of, of having public transport is to give people very, other options rather than... than um, sitting in traffic and 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 contributing to congestion and, and emissions, so uh, I don't think it's, a, it's not really a fair point. But no. yeah, if you choose <laughs> if you choose to, just to to travel some other way, then you should pay for it.
0: Firstly, what did you make of the 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 decision to make public transport half price for three months?
1: Uh, so for the, for this three month thing, I, I do think the government should have just bit, bit the bulletin and made it free for the the entire period of time. There's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is it'll be faster to do so. Auckland Transport and uh, the Greater Wellington Regional Council, who run buses down there, have both said it's going to take quite some time, and it's been quite challenging to to get their systems changed to enable that half price public transport in time um, yeah, for, for the first of April. And if we went for a free option, we could just turn the, turn the machines off tomorrow and have have it free from now. Yep. Yeah. So um, so we, go- that would be much faster to do.
0: Can I want to ask you this. Can a city as large as Auckland, super city, 1.6 million people, realistically sustain a free public transport system? Now the discussion is out in the open. Uh, people are seeing this as a real opportunity to have, the, have a real corridor around uh, what would actually free public transport look like. So I want to ask you... Could a city as large as this do it? Because some cities overseas, smaller cities, Luxembourg, for example, have done it.
1: Yeah, uh, any city could, could have free public transport if you want, if you are prepared to pay for it. And, uh, you know, a lot of cities, particularly in the US, that the, the amount of subsidy are actually really high. So the cost to to go free is, is actually not that much extra. And it's kind of a bit like that in Auckland at the moment, following you know, the reductions in issues from covid uh, the challenge is going to be long, particularly long term. Is how do we make sure that we that we have good good service? So that one of the things we don't want to do is have make the make the service free. Then so many people want to use it that you sit there waiting at a bus stop for you know five you know five buses go past completely full because it's, it's so popular. Oh. And and so you've got to be able to have a plan and funding to provide more services and, and you know, better frequencies and all all those sorts of things and. and and new services as well and so some of the cities that have put in place free public transport have had troubles with not being able to fund expansions to their system and I see uh, that's something that that we have to have up front
0: so we're looking around about uh, the full costs could be about $320 million a year $350 million a year Um, let's see if it's worth it what do our panellists think on that Andrew you first on this
3: um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, yes, it's good to have it free, but um, I live in Kirikiriroa Hamilton, and my thing is we need better public transport. Um, and I, I was just thinking, for example, so many of our buses are going through um, because the bus runs past my house, and so many times it's empty, hardly anyone on it, maybe for non-peak times, having smaller vehicles, so less em- emissions, um, doing some modelling around that. Um, I'm actually a fan of um, rickshaws, which is a sort of Asian form of transport, which we basically can have two people in. Um, and if we could have electric versions of those and you can just hop out on the street close by and pick one up and go places. Oh, yeah. um, as, as a form of public transport, they there's so much more accessible than a bus because they take you to from where you are to the place you want to go without having to go into the central city you know, station and then go out again to where you want to go. Um so yeah, better options too. Well let's bring that, let's
0: bring in that discussion, Matt. Is it also worth looking at uh the uh a a wider a range? of public transport, and maybe that also includes the electric scooter because uh, I've noticed that uh, in Tamaki Makaurau, gosh, a lot of people zip along. You can go two kilometres, uh, you can go from A to B pretty fast, so more investment in other forms like the rickshaw. Yeah,
1: so I, th- I think that the key thing is that um, we do need better public transport and that the biggest drivers of, of- Usage for public transport is not actually fares; it is it is the quality of the network. So it's going things right. that you want to go, its frequency, and its reliability. So it, you know you're not stuck in traffic. If, if you're sitting on a bus, it's stuck in traffic. So fares you know, not even should, the co- you know, fares fares not
0: even. Fares. fares not even in the top three. Apparently,
1: no, it, it, it's it's not the biggest driver of usage. It's not to say oh. that we shouldn't be making it easier and fares cheaper because we are. We do have quite expensive fares at times. But it's about making public transport better. Um, as for the comments around uh, you know, like, like smaller vehicles and what have you, the, the biggest cost for public transport is actually the drivers. And so smaller vehicles don't actually make a, make a big difference. So whether it's a big bus driving around or a small bus or a van, it's actually not much difference because the, the most of the cost there is actually the driver that's, that's having to do it. And so that, those, those Asian countries with the rickshaws, that they can do that because the, the cost of labour is very cheap. Um, whereas in New Zealand, it's not quite, you know, not quite the same situation there.
0: All right, Matt. Thanks for being with us uh, on that uh, public transport free. Uh, that is Matt Lowry from the uh, Greater Auckland uh, Transport blog. It is coming up to seven minutes to five. The panel, uh, NZ National, and sort of tracking back to the uh, cost theme. Horticulture NZ warns that we are facing a veggie crisis with spiralling production costs causing prices to increase and suppliers to shut down. With one horticultural head saying that unless consumers are prepared to pay for the increased costs of growing veggies, we'll see an exodus from growing vegetables in New Zealand. There's been a whopping, get this, 17% increase in the cost of fruit and veg in February compared to the same time last year. So... What's to be done? With us is President uh, of Horticulture NZ, Barry O'Neill. Barry, g'day.
4: day. Pure wireless and, and all thanks for having me on.
0: That's a big increase, eh?
4: Yeah, it's a big increase, but if you look at the last 10 years, the price of vegetables has basically been static, apart from seasonal variation when um, crops are at a, at a higher volume. And we eat about 2,000 tonnes of fresh fruit and vegetables a day. Um, and um, the, some of that 17% increase is related to weather events, which yes. have you know impacted on the costs of lettuces, et cetera, but the basic problem we've got here is grower costs are skyrocketing, and the grower returns aren't keeping up, and so um, if we go down this track, ultimately we will have more and more growers exit uh, growing vegetables. So I think in the 70s we had about 3,000 growers, now I think we're down to about 800. And um, if we can't stop this, we'll end up with a situation where uh, there'll be fewer vegetables, they'll be more expensive, and only the rich will be able to afford them.
0: 3,000 veggie growers in the 70s, 800 now, far bigger population. Did you hear that, Steve McCabe?
1: And I'm I'm just wondering if it's got anything to do with the fact that where I live in Pukakoe, which is traditionally, you know, the the market garden of Auckland, an awful lot of high quality arable land has now got houses on it.
4: Yeah, we've lost about 10,000 hectares of uh, land uh, used for growing over the last 40 or so years as a result of uh, urban encroachment. Um, And of course, a lot of the uh, market gardens are very close to uh, towns and cities, so the expansion of those towns and cities does impact. Um, But we we still have um, sufficient land to grow on, but just the growing costs and and whether that's the cost of uh, uh, seed or fertilisers doubled in the last two years, labour costs have gone up and diesel costs, of course, have gone through the roof. And so it's just becoming uh, really, really hard to grow uh, vegetables and make an economic return. Anjum?
3: Yeah, you know what I was thinking about? When we first came to New Zealand in 1972, the government used to set the price for bread and milk and maybe butter, and then we'd sit there every budget round waiting to hear what would happen with the prices. And actually, you know, and it must have been because government was subsidising some of these products or smoothing out the, you know, variables of of price. I, I mean, I would love to go back to something like that, where we actually had... Um, had set prices and that the growers weren't out of pocket because government were picking up you know, those variations and making sure that people could earn a decent living. Um, because I know, you know we've talked about removing GST from veggies, but the thing is, unless that removal is tied to a clause that the full price must be passed on by the retailer, you're not going to have the impact. Like the petrol cut that we've just seen, there are a lot of um, petrol stations that aren't passing on that full cut. Good grief. Barry, have we got to the stage where we're talking about price controls?
4: Um, Not sure about price controls, but I think there's a lot of things that the government can do to support growers. So, um, you know, the cost that uh, consumers pay in the supermarket, of course, the, the growers don't get a fraction of that. So, a $15 bag of spuds, the grower will get about five bucks. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a ridiculous price of cauliflower at $15, growers will only get six or so dollars for that. So, um, the growers are not getting the, the full pass on through the uh, retail chain of uh, what the value of that product is. Um, I welcome the uh, Commerce Commission's. Review of the supermarket Chiwokali to try and ensure that we've got a fair uh, deal for growers in there. So, a code of contact and a regulator um, are going to help, I think, there. Uh, but right, we, Barry?
0: Uh, we're up against the news, but I appreciate your time and thank you for those thoughts. For now, though, Andrew Rahman and Steve McCabe, you've both been wonderful. Thanks for being with us on Friday. Kia ora. And yeah, pleasure. And a big thanks to Sam Hollis for putting the shows together. I'm Wallace Shep and I am back Monday, three forty five. Stay listening.